We have not thought carefully about the fact that porn is effectively functioning like um, sexuality school for kids. He had a lot of influence by porn and watching what's going on in those videos, and he wanted to act it out with me. So as we got a little further into having our relationship and we started having sex, he would always talk about stuff he liked seeing on porn, and sometimes he'd ask me to do these things, which made me feel pretty uncomfortable. We can watch fiction and understand that it's fiction and not a guide for life, so I don't see why we see porn as the exception to that. I'm Lily. And I'm Alexander. And the question we're exploring today is, what is the impact of kids getting their primary source of sex ed from porn? So many kids, particularly boys, start consuming porn before their first sexual experience, and often even before a first kiss. And so we have to wonder, how is that going to impact their views and expectations surrounding sex? And how is it going to influence the kinds of things that those young boys are going to expect and and ask from the young girls that they have their early sexual experiences with? So when Alexander and I were exploring this question, we ended up talking to a girl whom we'll call Andrea. And Andrea told us about her first relationship, which she had at age 16. So both Andrea and her boyfriend were virgins when they started dating. But her boyfriend had certain expectations for what sex was supposed to be that he had formed from watching pornography. So as we got a little further into having our relationship and we started having sex, he would always talk about stuff he liked seeing on porn and sometimes he'd ask me to do these things. He would even bring it into the bedroom and try to show it to me so I could copy it, which made me feel pretty uncomfortable. I was still young and trying to figure out sex and what works and what felt good for me, and it didn't feel great to always have him bringing up porn and asking me to live up to these standards. Sometimes he'd even ask me to choke him, like the way he'd seen in porn videos. So as a young girl who had never had sex before and was struggling with body image and confidence, I was just thinking like, what is this? And like, I don't want to hurt you. And it's hard to be compared to people that are much older than you, and it's really unrealistic. There was also other times he'd ask me to mimic the sounds he heard women making in videos. He'd also ask me if I wanted to watch girl-on-girl activity in porn, and I myself am straight, and so I wasn't about to bend my sexuality to try and please another person. So in the case of Andrea's boyfriend, we can pretty clearly see how porn is giving him expectations for sex and informing his first sexual experience, as well as hers. And so the next question is, how common are experiences like this? Well, in a 2016 study that's based in the UK, they interviewed over 1,000 11 to 16-year-olds, and what they found is that 53% of boys and 39% of girls said that they thought porn was realistic. And 44% of boys and 29% of girls reported that the online pornography they had seen had given them ideas about the types of sex that they wanted to try out. So this data contradicts an often argued position that kids will be able to distinguish between fantasy and reality when watching porn, and that they aren't going to transfer what they see onto their sexual encounters. Here's Ella Darling, a successful porn actress, making that case. We don't look to movies like The Fast and the Furious to teach us how to drive. It's entertainment, just like porn. We can watch fiction and understand that it's fiction and not a guide for life. So I don't see why we see porn as the exception to that. So, Alexander, what do you think of that argument that Ella made? Yeah, defenders of pornography will often compare it to other categories of entertainment, like violent video games or movies depicting dangerous behavior. 
These analogies break down in many ways, but in response to Miss Darling's comparison to The Fast and the Furious, I would point out that a teen driver will be exposed to many thousands of examples of safe driving in the real world for every movie they see showing unsafe driving. So if their driving does end up being a function of mimicking the kinds of driving they are exposed to, they will end up being average, more or less safe drivers. For pornography, however, the only educational input for the vast majority of young boys is the hardcore pornography they are exposed to on the internet. So if the things they seek to initiate in sex is a function of what they see, we should expect that the sex that teens are having will more closely resemble the kinds of things we see in internet pornography. And that is exactly what we're seeing. Mm-hmm, thank you. I mean, your analysis makes sense to me. And in addition, I recall that you'd said something to me previously, which I also thought was a good point, just about how it has a different effect when you're watching something purely as entertainment versus when you're watching it and envisioning yourself in the scene. And I wonder if you could speak to that as well? Yeah, definitely. So I think it it's no secret that porn is a form of fantasy. So he's he's not just watching it as you know, viewing two people having this interaction, he's generally going to be picturing himself in the scene. And it's that kind of placing himself within that context that is going to be getting him aroused. And so he's just constantly doing that. And and so when he extrapolates from those things he's watching to his future sexual experiences, he's always going to be like learning in a way that he's like, oh, I can see myself doing that. Or when he's anticipating, when he's getting to know a girl and maybe anticipating them having sex, he's going to be anticipating reenacting those kinds of things that he's seen. Whereas for Fast and the Furious, I'm sure that some boys do picture themselves, you know, when they're watching a movie like that. Um, but it's, it's, you know, equally likely that he's going to be just watching that as like, okay, this is that person's story. I'm just viewing somebody else's story rather than always having the natural tendency to like put himself in the, in the driver's seat and, you know, thinking about, okay, when I get a driver's license, that's how I'm going to drive. You know, again, I'm sure some boys do do that, but it's a much less natural thing. And even for the boys that do do that, they're not doing that every day unless they're just totally obsessed with watching like race car movies um but for for pornography it's going to be like this thing that goes through it you know most of his adolescent life and and then when he does hit that sexual experience he's just going to be so primed to reenact those things that he's seen in pornography Mm -hmm. thank you thanks so much for sharing those thoughts and yeah i mean based on what you said and Based on the statistics we can see from the study on the amount of kids who who do intend to act out what they see in porn, um, and, you know, based on anecdotes like Andrea's, we can be pretty confident in saying that a lot of kids are indeed learning about sex and forming expectations about what sex is supposed to be from porn. And so I guess the next question would be, is that necessarily problematic? You know, I could see some people arguing that that could be beneficial. Maybe it's great for kids to have a sex educator in the form of porn. Um, So I guess to start examining that question of, well, why is that necessarily problematic? I want to turn to Brett Weinstein, who is an American biologist and evolutionary theorist. And we opened the podcast with a quote from him when he said, We have not thought carefully about the fact that uh, porn is effectively functioning like um, sexuality school for kids. So here's what Weinstein has to say about why that's problematic. And here's the problem with that. 
That is not an honest report of anything. What that is, is the result of competition, economic competition between porn producers to capture your attention, right? So what that means is that it pushes in the direction of all sorts of stuff that people might not be that interested in because this producer wants to take your attention away from that producer, and so they make something more extreme. Okay, so Weinstein seems to be concerned with how porn is giving inaccurate, uh, often extreme depictions of sexual acts, which children imagine are realistic, but which they'll soon discover that their sexual partners might not actually be interested in. And we saw some of that with Andrea's story. She talked about her boyfriend being interested in bringing in girl-on-girl activity or in getting her to choke him and how that made her uncomfortable or she just wasn't into that. And Andrea definitely isn't alone in that experience. I was recently listening to Katie Couric's podcast, Next Question, and I heard a young woman named Trish share her story, which I think is really pertinent. And she she observed how her boyfriend's taste for aggressive porn impacted the kinds of things he would pressure her into during sex. He told me that the harder I choke you, you'll have a better orgasm. He's like, haven't you ever seen one of those videos where the guy is choking the girl and she just has the best orgasm of her life? And I said, no. <laughs> He's like, believe me, you will. Choking seems to have become really popular in contemporary internet porn, and we see that figuring into both Andrea and Trish's uncomfortable experiences. In Andrea's case, her boyfriend was into watching uh, feminine, uh, female-dominant porn, which I think the slang term for in the porn world is femdom. Uh, and so he was asking her to choke him. But what seems to be a more common experience is um, the woman being choked by the man, which is what Trish experienced. And in Trisha's case, her boyfriend even mentioned explicitly where he was getting his inspiration for those aggressive acts from. You know, he talked about seeing those videos where the girl gets choked and has the best orgasm of her life, in his words. So presumably he's talking about those porn videos here. And Trish also mentioned seeing the computer history of what kind of porn he was watching and based on what she could tell from the titles, it was indeed very aggressive porn. One day I was on the computer and I went through the history and I saw that he was watching it when I wasn't home. And I saw a name of a video called Brunette Girl Gets Punished. I didn't bother opening it because I can only imagine what's in that video. But I could imagine there's a lot of anal sex going on, rough sex, hair pulling and everything that he liked. Recent research also has shed some light on how violent or aggressive porn seems to be influencing what men will do to women during sex. For example, a 2020 BBC study surveyed over 2,000 UK men aged 18 to 39, and they found that 71% had choked, slapped, gagged, or spat on their partner during consensual sex. And 57% of those men admitted that their desire to do those kinds of acts had indeed been influenced by pornography. And then another BBC study interviewed women on whether they had experienced those acts, and a very comparable number said that they had. So the number for that was 69%. And what's notable is that more than half of those women who had experienced it stated that those acts were unwanted. 
So I know a lot of people will say that women like those things during sex, and evidently some do. But some, and in this study, the majority, don't like it. And I know the women in this study were expressing that it's problematic when the men assume, um, again, likely influenced by porn, that that is what all women want. So here's Anna, who was interviewed for that BBC study, talking about that particular issue. I've had three separate experiences where these violent behaviours have been inflicted upon me. I think that men that do this think that it is normal. And I remember speaking to my female friends about it. A large proportion of them also didn't like it, but had experienced it non-consensually. Okay, so Alexander, any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of people who say, and I think it's true, I think there are a lot of women who you know, the, the line is so blurry, like, what does it mean to have a hand on your neck? It can be done in so many different ways. It can be done extremely aggressively and violently. It can also be done in a way that I think maybe a majority of women wouldn't like totally be revolted by. There's a whole spectrum of how that can be done. Um, but let's just say like something that's like fairly gentle and then, you know, not squeezing or, or not squeezing too hard. Let, let's just say half of adult women like that if we if if we kind of like consider that and the normalization of that through pornography in the context of young girls who who don't know what they like but they're being you know young boys are doing this to them and the girls are put in a position where they don't want to like they don't feel comfortable saying no or they just are going along with it they don't want to disappoint or they don't want to cause an issue they don't want to like say say no and it's this kind of pseudo consensual interaction that is is kind of you can just see the the line the connection going from pornography where choking is just being done by adults some of the girls like it sometimes it's uncomfortable but it, then it goes to the to the guy to the young boys heads and they just think it's normal and they, and they think many girls like it they think all girls like it so it's being done to these girls who are having sometimes their first sexual experiences or their very early sexual experiences and it's being normalized to them through the actual act and i don't know i can just see see the through line from pornography to these girls early sexual experiences and it makes me really uncomfortable and it makes me you know when you contrast it with what we would hope, what I would think a father or a mother would hope are their children's early sexual experiences, which is about, you know, human connection and, um, you know, something much more healthy than, than a hand on the neck being a main feature or being something that is expected to have pleasure for someone who's, you know, a little bit nervous and scared and confused and doesn't, doesn't totally know what to expect. I just think that when we compare from the perspective of a parent, what we would want an early sexual experience to be. And now we see that pornography is making, you know, these these violent acts that are sometimes more egregious and sometimes less egregious. But I just, I, from my perspective and from the most parents' perspective, I would think, I don't want that to be any feature of, a, of an early sexual experience. Certainly if, if a woman discovers she likes that later on, that that's she's totally free to 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 do that and explore that on her own but just because of, of this issue that we're talking about how pornography is becoming instructive for young boys and informative of the experience of young girls that's just something that makes me really uncomfortable and i think it's worth uh, thinking about totally yeah and 
I guess that's a question we could ask our audience to consider is, would you want your daughter's first sexual experience to be with someone who has learned all about sex from porn? And if not, and if that kind of rankles you, and yet you're not addressing the issue of pornography with your sons, then isn't there a disconnect there? Because if you wouldn't want that to happen to your daughter, then why are you putting your son out in the world as the person who's going to inflict that experience on other people's daughters? So moving on to another point, one other thing that concerns me when we talk about kids wanting to act out what they see in pornography is the potential link between early pornography exposure and child-on-child sexual assault. So there's an established correlation for this in research. For example, a meta-analysis of 59 different studies found that kids who sexually assaulted other kids were significantly more likely to have had earlier and more frequent exposure to pornography. Now, of course, when we look at that type of research, the question that always comes up is, is that correlation necessarily indicative of a causal relationship? Or or if so, what type of causal relationship is involved? You know, is it necessarily that pornography exposure is causing or influencing these children to sexually assault other children? Or could there be some other third variable at the root of both the pornography exposure and the sexual assault? So let's say, for example, that kids who've been sexually abused themselves tend to respond to that experience by sexually abusing other kids and also by watching pornography. And in that case, the prior experience of sexual abuse would be the third variable that explains the correlation. As far as I know, current research can't offer us a solid answer to that question of correlation versus causation. But part of my looking into this issue has been listening to interviews and talks from people who have hands-on experience working with perpetrators and victims of child-on-child sexual assault. And from these interviews, I am indeed concerned that pornography may well be a causal factor in inspiring kids to act at what they see by assaulting other kids. So for example, here's Nancy Green from the Alabama Child Center, Palmer Place, talking about what some of these child perpetrators say. We have had others that the child has already said, you know, I learned that from the internet. And we've had children that basically are describing an addiction to pornography and then they're trying it out. So we have children who are sexually assaulting other children and then saying that they learned that behavior from pornography. Definitely something to think about with respect to the whole correlation versus causation question. And another thing which I think is a major hint for this question It's something I heard from Heidi Olson, who is a sexual assault nurse examiner specializing in these child-on-child cases. And here's what she has to say. So when we think of kids who sexually assault or act out sexually, um, there are certain risk factors we think of. Say they were victimized themselves, um, maybe they are in foster care. There's certain factors we think of. Maybe they've been traumatized or coming from a broken home, that type of thing. Yet what we're seeing is, and that does factor into kids becoming perpetrators, but what we're seeing is a rise of kids whose only risk factor, the only thing they've been exposed to is pornography. And that alone is causing them to act out what they're seeing. 
Okay, so the reason why that seems like a hint to me that porn itself might be a causal influence when it comes to these child-on-child sexual assaults is because a lot of the competing third variables, so those other risk factors she mentioned, have been eliminated. It's it's not that the kid comes from a broken home and that causes him both to turn to pornography and to sexually abuse his sister or whoever. It's, it's not that the kid has been a prior victim of abuse himself and that that's what causes both those behaviors. Um, th- those, those potential third variable explanations have been eliminated. And so that, I'm not trying to make a strong claim here that I know there's a causal connection or that the direction, the causal direction runs from porn to the abuse, but it's, it's a hint, I think, and it's something that's worth considering. And I mean, to a certain extent, it does make intuitive sense to me that, at least in some cases, porn could be serving as a causal influence for these child-on-child sexual assaults. I mean, if they're if they're being exposed to all this stuff and being sexualized way too young, and they're seeing all these things that they find super enticing and want to try out, and at the same time, porn isn't giving them any edu- isn't giving them any education on what you know establishing consent looks like or what respecting other people's boundaries look like. It's not giving them any context for these wild sexual encounters that they're seeing on a regular basis. And so I can definitely understand that young kid not really realizing it isn't okay to test out what he's seeing on his little sister, you know? Or maybe the 13-year-old boy on his first date with a girl in his class and not really understanding that that girl isn't necessarily going to want him to just jumper and start doing all the stuff he's seeing in the porn videos, you know? So I, I think that's maybe potentially the baseline for how cor- how porn could be inspiring these child and child sexual assaults. And then, depending on what kind of porn we're talking about, I think that link becomes even clearer. If the kid is watching the more violent porn that's depicting sexual encounters in, in a context of you know, aggression and, and, and forcefulness, then him matching that out by assaulting another kid is even less surprising to me. And certainly we do have studies that show the risk of child-on-child sexual assault or that correlation is even stronger if the porn that we're talking about is violent, aggressive porn. For example, we have a 36-month longitudinal study that studied 10 to 15-year-olds And they found that the kids who reported exposure to violent X-rated material, they called it, so violent porn, they were over five times more likely to sexually assault or harass other kids. So on that note, maybe it's time to talk about those more concerning types of porn that have an even greater risk of negatively impacting the kids' healthy, healthy sexual development. Violent or aggressive porn is certainly one that I'm concerned about, and I know a lot of research is expressing concern about that. But I also want to talk about this other porn genre that, for whatever reason, is just insanely popular nowadays and insanely prevalent, and that is this incest genre. When Alexander and I were, when we first started looking into the porn issue and doing this research a little over a year ago, we looked into the top most viewed titles on Pornhub. And at the time, over half of the most viewed titles on Pornhub were uh, pushing in the direction of incest with this 
step incest kind of thing. So stepbrother, stepsister, stepdad, stepdaughter, stepmom, stepson, etc. And since then, I've gone a few times onto the most popular porn sites, so Pornhub and X videos. I, I use a software that blocks the images and the thumbnails because I don't want to see that. Um, but I'll look at I'll look at the most viewed, but also just at the first few pages because I'm interested in finding out what a kid who's just checking out these porn sites for the first time is going to see when he's he arrives at the home page and he maybe flicks through a few pages, you know. And I always use incognito mode when I access these sites so that I can make sure the site's algorithm isn't isn't catering to me specifically. So what I sh what I see should be what a first time visitor to the site sees. So that kid I have in my mind. Anyway, whenever I visit Pornhub or X videos, there is indeed always plenty of the step incest genre, but blood relative incest is not hard to find either. Uh, each time I've gone to those sites, I've always found at least two titles of the blood relative incest just on the first couple pages. Uh, sometimes it's like an aunt nephew kind of thing or something like that, but most of the time it's it's sister brother. So I guess the question that I have to ask is why would we want our kids to grow up from a very young age fantasizing about incest? and thinking that that is the sexiest thing in the world. Is that likely to be conducive to their healthy sexual development? And certainly given what we've discussed about porn potentially influencing kids to sexually assault other children, do we want to run the risk of our children watching these videos encouraging him to fantasize about having sex with his sister and then proceeding to act that out on, the, on their little sisters or something? And siblings are the perpetrators in a very significant portion of child-on-child -child sexual assaults. And that goes for step-siblings as well, actually. But that aside, whether the fantasy ends up turning into an assault or not, I just don't see how there's anything positive to be said about encouraging an incest fantasy in kids, or in adults, for that matter. And the fact that that porn genre is so prevalent and so popular is quite troubling to me. Uh, so Alexander, do you have any thoughts on that? One of the things that I think is most important to consider is, is just how early we are in the saturation of pornography in society. Internet pornography as it exists now has not been around that long, maybe one generation, almost one generation. And it's the, the amount that's being consumed is just going up and up and up. So how the, why this worries me in relation to the the huge popularity of the incest genre is if you imagine a young boy or a boy in his early a guy in his early 20s who for one reason or another gets interested and there are many many millions of boys doing this gets interested in incest as a genre that's captivating to him that's arousing to him for whatever reason whether he has siblings or not it's just that's that that's something that draws his attention and he's watching this stuff for years of his life and you know the natural human revulsion to incest which is 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 in most people it kind of just 
goes away for, for these people because it just becomes normalized for them through through years of, of, of watching it and, and training their brains to be aroused by that kind of like anxiety inducing uh, phenomenon or spectacle. And then what worries me is, is where are, are those boys and young men going to be on the issue when they start having daughters? It just seems very, very clear to me that at least for some fraction of those men who who were into incest porn as young boys and young men are not going to be revolt are also not going to be too revolted by it when they have daughters and and you know they're going to end up being the men who are are currently watching incest porn father daughter incest porn and fantasizing about their own daughters and then for some fraction of those men it's going to it's going to you know, compel them perhaps to to take action. And so I don't know how much it, it's going to raise the amount of incest that's going on in the world, but I would be shocked if it's not going to raise it somewhat. It, it, it makes perfect sense to me. You have an entire cohort of men who just get normalized to incest generally. And that seems like it's, it's inevitably going to affect their behavior at some point. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to listen to the Questioning Pornography podcast today. Alexandra and I always learn a lot from researching and discussing these questions together. And we hope that you learned something from exploring these questions with us. Our goal is really just to normalize and encourage thoughtful and intellectually honest conversations about pornography and the various impacts it may be having on individuals and society today. So with that said, we invite you to subscribe and come back for future episodes as we continue exploring this multifaceted issue. Take care.